The passage we're going to be looking at this morning is Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Now turn with me please to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 to 17. Parallel passage describing the same event. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Then Jesus arriving, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And now turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. I'd like to start this morning by asking you a question. Who is Jesus Christ? Do you know? If someone came up to you in the street and said, tell me, who is Jesus Christ? Would you be able to give them an answer? Or maybe it would just be a vague answer. Yes, he was the Son of God. And then when you think about it, you can't say too much more. You see, do you know who he really is as taught by Scripture? Or maybe you say to me this morning, you know, it's not really important that I know all that doctrine about Jesus as long as I love him. Well, my friend, it is really important that you know who Jesus is because if you don't know the truth about him, you will easily be led astray by false teaching. 
You see, there's a renewed attack today, as there has been for many hundreds of years, on the sonship and the deity or the godness of Jesus Christ. And this attack is not so much from outside the church. They couldn't really be bothered. But it's rather coming from inside the church, from those so-called Christian liberals inside the church. And no, it's not just in the USA where everything bad comes from, right? Or no, it's not just from Britain. And this attack doesn't just happen in faraway places. This attack is happening right here in New Zealand, in churches in Whanganui, and even in our own Baptist Union publication. This attack is also on the truth that is taught in Scripture that men and women need to hear and believe the gospel message alone to be saved. That men and women need to turn from their sin and that they need to turn to Jesus Christ and find new life in and through him. All this is also under attack. And so I come back to my question, who is Jesus? This narrative before us today is one of the key passages in Scripture which clearly shows God as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all in the same place and at the same time working together. And in this event, God the Father very loudly and clearly declares who Jesus is right at the onset of Jesus' ministry on earth. But before we carry on, maybe just a bit of background, because not all of you have been with us through all of these studies. In our passages in Luke, we've encountered John the Baptist, that God-appointed forerunner of the Messiah. And he had been going up and down the Jordan River for a while now, preaching the gospel message. And this was the content of his preaching. He was saying things like, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to have your sins forgiven. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And like Elijah, there was fire and urgency in his message. He was saying things like, There is one coming who is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will be the one who will judge you. And then one day, as John was going about baptizing people, Jesus came to him. And even though John didn't initially recognize him, as we see in John chapter 1 verse 33, Jesus came and asked John to baptize him too. But John resisted out of sheer humility until Jesus pointed out that prophecy had to be fulfilled. Matthew 4.15 John permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so there in that Jordan River, a man, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, baptized the Son of Man. And this is an important event because all four Gospels record it. And so we need to pay close attention to what this event teaches us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be looking at the actual baptism. What happened there? Then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, so why did Jesus need to be baptized? The third thing we're going to do is there's a warning here for us. 
And then lastly, we're going to come back to that question I started with. So who is Jesus? So let's look at the baptism this morning. There's only two verses we're going to be looking at here, verses 21 and 22. So you can look at that text as we go through. And please note, this is not a sermon about patience. I've heard this twice before at other churches. They read this passage and they say, now this is a sermon about patience. You see, Jesus had to wait for everyone else to be baptized and then he could be baptized. And so, dear people, you must learn to have patience. Hogwash. Must we have patience? Yes, we must, but not from this passage. Right. This passage, when you read scripture and look at what it's saying, is saying to us who Jesus is. God is announcing it himself. This is my son. So how does God do that? Well, we see that Jesus goes down into the water and a man, John the Baptist, baptizes the son of man, as I've seen. And this was God's will and it was by God's design. God wanted it to happen this way. Jesus was baptized just like any other person that came to be baptized. He went down into the water. His head was put under completely. He was submersed. He came up out of the water and that's where the similarity ended. Because when Jesus came up out of the water, it says, he was praying. And as he was praying, the heavens were opened. Now, that doesn't usually happen when we open this pool. I wish it did, but it doesn't. The heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove on Jesus Christ, and then the voice of God the Father came booming down on the people. This is my Son. So it's not a normal baptism. You see, while Jesus was praying, heaven was opened. Isn't it interesting that we find Jesus praying right here at the onset of his ministry. His feet are still in the water. He's just been baptized. And as he comes up, he is praying. The Son of Man communing with his Father in heaven. We find Jesus praying right throughout his ministry. From here, right through at the appointing of the twelve, we find Jesus praying for them. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Jesus prays for this miracle to happen and then also for the people. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus prays. At Lazarus' tomb, Jesus prays and speaks to his Father. At the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he communes with his Father. At Gethsemane in the garden, he's about to be put to death. He prays. He communes with his Father. On the cross, he prays. In pain and agony. After his resurrection, he prays. Until he's taken up, he prays. And so we've got to ask ourselves, if prayer was so essential to Jesus, how essential is it to you and I? And I hang my head in shame. I do not pray enough. I don't know about you. We need to be praying more. If the Son of Man found it essential to pray to his Father constantly, how much more should we as fallen creatures come before our Father? And plead with him. Our text says, as he was praying, heaven was opened. Ezekiel says, it is the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God was thrown open. Only in two other places do we record this in scripture. Where Stephen was martyred. As Stephen is being stoned, Acts 7.56 says, he witnessed the heavens opened. 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, ready to take Stephen home. And the only other instance is where Peter was sitting on the roof and he saw that vision, the sky opened and the sheet was lowered down with all those unclean animals on it. You see, but what was God doing right here as Jesus was in the water? Why did God show the heavens opened? Well, it was God visualizing unity for all those witnessing those event, that event. Remember, there were crowds there who were being baptized. And suddenly, when this man is baptized, he comes up out of the water, and the heavens open. Well, there's something different here. This man must be special. You see, it was a witnessing moment. It was a visual aid for people. What a visual aid. I wish I could do things like that. You see, what was God showing? He was showing the interaction and the intimacy that existed between the Father and the Son. This is my Son. And God opens the heavens. What an answer God was giving to his prayer. And as God opens the heavens, the Holy Spirit descends and he descended visibly. It wasn't just in people's imaginations. It wasn't just John imagining something. The Holy Spirit descended visibly in the form of a dove. People could witness something happening here to this man. Now, I'm not even going into the question, why was it a dove? Why not a vulture? Why not something else? All right? The Bible doesn't go further, doesn't explain it, so we don't. It was a dove. We accept that. So was the Spirit not already with Jesus, someone might ask? Why did God have to send the Spirit down onto His Son? Well, Scripture tells us clearly, yes, He was. There are very many verses that say that. But this was also a symbolic anointing with power for the sake of the people witnessing. You see, what God was saying here is, this is my son, I've chosen him. The Spirit is anointing him for the task. You see, what would Jesus come to do? Jesus was appointed to be the Redeemer of mankind. And he was also enabled to save. And who would bring about that change in people? The Holy Spirit. And so God is showing that. Here is my son. He will be the redeemer of mankind and the spirit will bring the change on you through the son. Here he is. Here's a picture for you. And then as if that isn't enough, there's this voice that comes from the heavens. And believe me, it wasn't an imaginary voice, as some liberals again say. There are liberals who say, oh no, it was just Jesus who heard this voice. But I have to ask you, Why did Jesus need to hear a booming voice telling him that he's God's son? He knew he was God's son. He didn't have to be told, I love you, son. He knew he was loved because he's God. And so who was it for? Again, as a witness to people. God wanted people to see. God wanted people to take note of who this was. And so the father thunders down that announcement and he says, As for you, you are my son, the beloved one in whom I take pleasure. You see, what is God doing? He's making an authoritative announcement of fact. You are my son, this one here in the water. It was clear, it was audible, it was authoritative, it was a statement of fact by God himself. God didn't allow John to say this anymore. 
He was saying it himself. And this wasn't the moment, as some have said, and again a false teaching, some have said this was the very moment when God adopted Jesus as his son. Rubbish. God, the Father, coexisted with the Son and with the Spirit from the very beginning, whenever that was. The Son was always the Son. This isn't the moment of adoption. That is a lie. God was making an authoritative announcement. And he was giving Jesus the authority publicly to do the work that was assigned to him. That's what this whole scene was about. And then God says, you are the beloved one in whom I take pleasure. You see, this was God's only begotten son, the one God loves dearly, and the one and the one who all of us as mankind had to also see as the beloved one. God was saying, He is my beloved one. You love him too. And isn't it fantastic to see God taking pleasure in his son as well? Do we somehow get an inkling of when Jesus is offered up for as a sacrifice for us? What a great sacrifice that was for God as well. This was the Son that was put to death by human beings. His own creations put Him to death. What a sacrifice for us. God's love was reflected in and through this love that He's showing to the Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Do you see that love? So that was what the baptism was about. But we've got to ask ourselves that second question. So why was Jesus baptized? Why this form of what happened over there? Why didn't God just get him on a mountaintop, put him on a hill, shine lights on him and say, this is my beloved son? No, God chose the waters of baptism. Why? Well, firstly, it was for confirmation. And I'm just going to put a few points down here. It was for, as a confirmation to John the Baptist, that man in the water with Jesus Christ. You see, what had John been doing? In faith, John had been proclaiming the saving message. The one is coming, the one who is the son of man, he will be greater than I. He will save you. He will be able to baptize you with the Spirit. I can only baptize you with water. And John was doing that all in faith. And here, the son of man is baptized and the Spirit descends, this booming voice. And John must have known, yes, now I can preach. This is true. And the people saw that as well. So it was confirmation. Secondly, it was the fulfillment of prophecy, as I've already mentioned. Jesus was baptized so that prophecies would be fulfilled. God's words, you are my son. Those very specific words were affirming Jesus as his son before men. And these were the very words contained in quite a few passages in Scripture. One of them is a Messianic psalm, Psalm 2 verse 7, which uses those exact words describing the one who would one day sit on the seat of David. It was pointing forward to this day. Another one was from Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1. I wonder if you want to turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1. This is what it says. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Do you see? He is my beloved son in whom 
You see it? Here's the Spirit. I have put my Spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That's what Jesus was starting here. That was one of many passages in Scripture. We'd be here all morning if I had to quote them. But there's one of many that point forward to that moment when Jesus was baptized. So why was Jesus baptized? To fulfill prophecy. He was also baptized to show authority. This was a clear announcement, more than just the mere words of a man like John the Baptist. These are the words of God himself announcing, this is my son. He is the son of God. He is the only way to me. You see, Jesus was and is unique. Both in his mission to save and in his role as the only way to the Father. And it cuts right across the current cultural pluralism that's around. Excuse that one. Which says that if there is a God, there are many ways to him. Many roads do not lead to God. I'll repeat that in case anyone didn't hear. Many roads do not lead to God. There is only one way, and that is a very narrow way, and not many choose to follow in that way. And in that sense, Christianity, yes, is a very narrow religion. We'll wear that badge. But there is no, this is not our narrowness, this is not our exclusivity, this is God's wisdom and God's way. And so if you've got an argument, argue with God. Men either accept Jesus Christ as the only way or they reject him in favor of their own beliefs. Don't listen to the liberals. This is what scripture tells us. There are even some evangelicals, and I quote that term, evangelicals. There are even some evangelicals today who are saying that, listen to this, because it's here in Wanganui, I heard it this week again. We must be more open to God and the possibility that God can save even those who don't believe in Jesus. Why do they say that? They say because God's work through Jesus is so big that it just flowed over. And that it's a bit like at a fireworks display. Those of you who have done this, I've done this too. You don't pay to go into the grounds. You stand outside and you get the full effect, right? All right. They're saying same thing. Jesus' work was so big and so powerful that it overflowed and that there are some on the peripherals that are even saved. They don't have to come through him. They are saved because of the abundance of God's work. Can I put it in one word again? Rubbish. That's a straight lie from Satan. The unique son of God has a unique mission. Listen to this. And I've said it before. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, here it is, through him. There's no other way. John 14.6 And so, yes, Christianity is fundamental. Give me the badge, I'll put it on here. For the right reasons. And even though it's so hard for our pluralistic worldview society to swallow, we have to stand by what Scripture says. And so if you want to be part of God's kingdom, you must know the king, Jesus, the son of God. Why was Jesus baptized? It was also for affirmation. 
You see, water baptism signifies the necessity of being cleansed for sin. When people stand in the waters of baptism, they are testifying to a work that God has already done in their lives. By going through the waters of baptism, they are not saved. And yes, I know we're in a Baptist church. They are not saved by that. They are showing what God has already done in their lives. As they go under the water, they are showing they've died to sin. Already it's done. As they come up out of the water, they show that they have been saved already past tense. And they are standing and testifying to what has happened in their lives. But the question comes up. Jesus was not a sinner. So why was he baptized? You see, Jesus had been appointed to take away the sin of mankind and and the sin of all those who would come after him and also to bear the guilt and the punishment of that sin on himself. And so as he descends under the water and he rises from it, he goes before you and I, showing the way. And as the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and as the Father's voice thunders down out of the heavens and he thunders his approval down on Jesus Christ, Jesus is sanctioned for the task. And then that comes, it leads into the next point. It calls for imitation. Jesus says, I've gone before you, now follow me. I was baptized, you be baptized. Follow me in obedience. And that's why we too are buried with him in baptism and raised with him to newness of life, Romans 6 verse 4. So, I urge you this morning, in strong terms, follow the example of Jesus. Follow him. He did it. You must. Now, if that wasn't any warning, here comes the warning. Don't be led astray by false teachings of who Jesus is. Know who Jesus is. How do you know who Jesus is? You get your glasses, you get your pencil, you get your study mind on, you get your Bible open, and you search. That's how we know who Jesus is in here. Study the Word of God. It reveals the truth about Jesus Christ all over the pages of Scripture. Don't be led astray by a false Messiah and by false teachings. I'll give you two examples today, and they might shock you. First one is the Christadelphians. You see the ads plastered all over town, even on the internet. Wanganui. They teach that Jesus had a sinful nature and that he had to save himself first before he could save mankind. That is why he was baptized and why baptism is necessary for salvation. Untruth. Second one, fresh expression. Who of you have heard of fresh expression? I'm just interested. All right, you will. They were around. Two of our prominent Baptist Union leaders, and I know I'm on the air, on the internet now. Our two, two of our prominent Baptist Union leaders are on the board of Fresh Expression New Zealand, and you will know their names. I won't tell them to you. You go and read the Baptist magazine this month and see who they are. What does fresh expression say? They deny the very clear stand of darkness and light that the gospel message demands. And I'm going to quote from their website. Listen to this. They say this. Other faiths offer insights into the fullness of God we see in Jesus. You see, what is Fresh Expression doing? And I'll quote some more now. 
They are saying, look, society's changed, so the way we do church must change, right? I agree with that in some way. We've got to change, but not our message. We've got to change some of the ways we do things. But what they are saying is, we must get alongside these other religions. We must see the good in those religions. We must see where God is already at work in those religions. That's where we link up with them. We get alongside them, and before they know it, they'll be Christians. It's the gospel by stealth. I don't read that in scripture. I'll carry on quoting from their website. Therefore, they say, we must see the genuine explorations of Sikhs, Muslims, Hindus, and other potential stages on the way to discovering who Jesus is and the hope that the church offers. Now listen. Rather than rejecting other faith in their entirety, we are invited to discern what is of God and what is not. Instead of dampening the flame, we wouldn't want to dampen their flame, instead of dampening the flame of someone else's faith, people are encouraged to open up to the force of the one true light. Can I use my favorite word again? Rubbish. Rubbish. This is not even gospel by stealth. This is a false gospel. You see, where is the brokenness over sin? Where is the distinct difference between darkness and light? They are following a false messiah. The leaders in our Baptist Union, who are the Baptist representatives on fresh expression. Jesus said this, I am the way. You've heard this word before today. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You either accept me or you reject me. There's light, there's darkness, there's life or death. Doesn't sound like a quiet approach to me. People won't suddenly find themselves Christians and they didn't understand how they got there. Rubbish. Jesus, God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him and live. Reject him and die. Alright? That's the warning over. I hope you've heard it today. Open your newspapers. You'll see the ads inviting you to some of these services. Stay away. Burn your paper if you have to. Stay away. Don't go there. Second Timothy 4 verses 3 to 4 warns us. And we're in that time now. Listen to it. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Here it is and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's what it is. It's an untruth. It's a myth. It's untrue. Stay away. Second Corinthians 6.17 says this, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. There's no stealth here. It's very clear. Can I hear an amen from that? Excellent. So at least most of us agree. Great. Now, who is Jesus? And what I want to do here this morning is I want you in your hearts to listen to what I'm going to say now. I'm going to read a statement of who Jesus is, what we believe is the church. It's taken from our statement of faith. And I want you to give it an amen in your heart. And if you don't know some of these things, I've put it, in case you didn't listen very well, I've put it in the back of the bulletin. You can go and do some homework this week and go and study all those things about Jesus Christ. 
and get to know them because you'll need them. This is what we believe. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, He has already come. We don't still have to wait for Him. Jesus, the Messiah, is the Son of God. God said so, we believe it. He is eternally the Son. He always was. He's not adopted. He's not created. He is the second person of a trinity, the trinity, the only trinity. Fully God, of the same nature as the Father and the Spirit. He is no different. Although equal with the Father, some will say he isn't. He's under. Although equal with the Father, the Son is submissive to him in the execution of the Father's will. He does that voluntarily. He's not forced to. All things were created through the Son. You believe that this morning. And they are held in existence by Him. Do you believe that? It's not just you're going to the gym and the aerobics classes. Jesus Christ upholds you in your existence. When He assumed a human nature, He remained fully God, yet also became fully man. I can't understand that. I believe that by faith. But He was fully God, fully man. And in His incarnation, His becoming man, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That is also under attack. He lived a sinless life. That is under attack. And he died on the cross. Some say he didn't. He died on the cross to bear man's sin. It wasn't just a token offering. He died to bear man's sin. And to redeem mankind. He didn't just go before to set a good example, as some say. He rose again bodily on the third day. It was an actual bodily rising out of the dead. Guaranteeing a future resurrection life for all believers here today. He guarantees it. He's done it. He's gone before. The only way anyone can be saved is by acknowledging their sinful state and through belief in the Son. There is no other way to God. Jesus ascended and is now at the Father's right hand interceding for you and I as believers. He is the head of the church, this church as well, and he will imminently return for her. There is urgency in what we do. We don't just do church. We don't just do Christianity. Jesus Christ is coming again soon. How urgent are you in your task? How urgent are you in your obedience of him? He will judge all mankind, both believers and unbelievers, and he will cast unbelievers into hell. Yes, we believe in a literal hell. I've said it. It's true. We believe it. And he will take believers to himself for all eternity. This is the Jesus Christ that we are talking about. This is the Jesus Christ that I hope you believe in too. This is the Son of God. Follow Him. No stealth here, mate. Follow Him. Do you know what you believe about Jesus? If not, you've got work to do this week. And then follow Him. Let's pray.
Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You that You spoke those mighty words. This is my Son. And that we are to follow Him. Lord, I pray for Your protection on every single believer that's here. That we will know who Jesus is. We will know in our hearts, we will know in our minds by studying your word so that when the attack comes against us, we will recognize it first and then we will not fall for it. Lord, protect your church from the evil one. And Lord, we pray for those who have fallen for this teaching. We pray for those men in the Baptist Union that you will draw them back, Lord. And that once again they will stand strong in their faith, stand strong in their testimony. But Lord, protect us, we pray. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all these things that we've learned about him. Thank you that we know that he is there and he is interceding on our behalf. Lord, because so often we don't know what to pray. But he is there, and through the Spirit, he brings our prayers to you, our Father. Thank you for the Trinity in action. Thank you that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is involved in our lives too. Lord, our prayer is today, keep us faithful to you, with our eyes wide open, opened by your word and by the discernment that only your Spirit can give. Use us to not just draw others to yourself, but Lord, use us too to warn others where they're on the wrong road. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.